0: From Stockholm Studios in Bushwick, Brooklyn, this is The LPV Show, a weekly discussion from the world of photography and photo books. Here is your host, Brian Formals.
1: We're back for another season. LPV. LPV, yeah. Season two. We've, uh, it's taken us a while to get here. (laughs) A lot of uh, conversations at Greenpoint at Oak and Iron, the office. A lot of good late night meetings. A lot of good late night meetings. That's right. some uh, some during the day. Some during the day. We've got a uh, all new set of equipment. <laughs> but I'm not going to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> because you know, hopefully that doesn't get in the way. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, getting rolling with this podcast again and I think we're going to try a little bit of a different format this year. Last year I just did the monoe mono interviews and this year I'd like to have, you know, three three or four people at a time, a little bit more conversational. We're gonna cut each episode into basically two parts where we're gonna chit chat about what's going on in the first half. In the second half we're gonna uh, discuss a photo book, which I'm excited about. I know it might be a little bit weird to talk about photo books on a podcast, but That's so weird. <laughs> I think I'm we'll ex- make it work. I'm excited about these photo books. Yeah, so uh Today and I don't want to give it away, but I've got uh, one of my favorite photo books, Arrivals and Departures, from one of my favorite photographers, Gary Winogrand. I'm sure most people are familiar with him. He's also one of my favorites. One of Tom's favorites, yeah. So it's a street photographer centric podcast on this one, I think. Yeah, he's episode. not
0: new. It sounds like he's not really new to anybody else, but he feels really new into my life. Well, That's good. Hmm. Yeah.
2: When did you meet Gary? <laughs>
0: At the Met. At the Met. I uh-huh. met his work at the Met. Huh? Oh. Yeah. They had so many images. Actually, yeah. it was it. It was not overwhelming in a bad way, but it was a lot. How I've well never was... been to see a sh- like a show like that where I was like, whoa! There's five rooms and they're like covering covering it top to the wall, top to bottom. Yeah, yeah it
1: was an impressive
0: show. I mean, it was good. But... It's like three hundred something prints. I think they they had up for that.
2: Yeah, I couldn't see it just once. I went and saw it in uh, D.C. before it came to New York, too, and it was very different in both cities despite being largely the same yeah. pieces, but they were shown differently. And in D.C. at the National Gallery, it, there was a lot more space, and I went in thinking, oh, I finally get to experience some real Win a Grand Prince. And they weren't huge. I think I went in thinking, like, oh, I'm going to see some real big prints. And they were like 11 by 14 and 16 by 20. Yeah. And somehow in the New York space at the Met, it's, it felt like it filled it out a little more. And there was always a lot more people in there. And the two times I went, I heard people that either knew him or knew his family or knew oh, someone wow. in the picture, so a lot of... Oh, wow.
0: There was a lot of that going on. Yeah, out. I did not have that
1: experience. <laughs> no, that's cool. So other than going, uh, traveling across uh, the East eastern seaboard to see Gary Wintergrand shows, what else have you been up to, Tom?
2: Uh, <clears throat> I went to Montana and drove cross-country with my friend Brendan over the summer. It was kind of my first cross-country trip. Then I went out to... Uh, do a little European travels in the Alps. Nice. Uh, I went to France, Switzerland, and Italy with my mom for wow. a couple weeks. It's a lot of traveling. Yeah.
0: What inspired that trip? You guys just... Uh, my mom needed someone to go with her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so your mom sort of yeah. was spearheading it. Through. Yeah.
1: That's cool. Never say no when mom wants to take it to Europe. No. <laughs> yeah. no. Not at all.
0: No. Had she And neither one of you had been before.
2: Uh, well, I mean, she'd actually been to the Alps and a lot of Europe before, but I'd only been to France for a job, so it was nice to spend a little more
1: time there. But your mom's a painter, right? She is. She's a painter. Yeah. So you're both uh, the, the artistic genius in the family, huh? Yeah,
2: I mean, it was kind of uh, a reluctant thing at first for me. Uh, I think growing up, going to a bunch of art galleries is... A kid who's kind of tiresome and boring, but I think in the end, art won. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: I didn't. I never went to any museums. It was all sports. I went to Vikings, Vikings games ah. on Sunday, and Twins games. So there was no art. Art was uh, frowned upon. I didn't, you know, not frowned oh, upon, but like, so it's was your, your rebel release. Yeah, probably. I guess. You know, I think so. Maybe. I mean, he's got burned out of sports in college. Like someone always wins, somebody always loses. And like, once you know, once you know a game like baseball or football, like a fifteen-year-old boy knows those games better than any adult, right? Like they can tell you everything about the game. You know it, and like once you know it, it's just there's nothing else. You just, you just which I think is part of the joy of it. Then you can just kind of watch and like understand the new. Speaking of which, like, isn't the World Series tonight? Yeah, Game Seven. Yeah. yeah, that's
0: how you know this is a photo show. We're all here
1: in a room. Yeah, we're yeah. all here in a room. Now watching. <laughs> who's, who's it's playing? the Royals and the Giants. The Royals are the underdogs, big underdogs. Huh. So my, my old man's rooting for them. He's been following them for the last couple of years. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I was in 1991. I was at Game 7, Minnesota Twins and Atlanta Braves. Literally one of the greatest World Series games ever. Probably one of my fondest memories in life. Will be till I day it is being in the Metrodome. Game six, Kirby Puckett hits a home run in the bottom of the tenth inning to bring him to game seven. In game seven, Jack Morris, one to nothing, ten innings again. It's phenomenal. Fifteen year old kid who loves baseball. Yeah, yeah. I have. I'm working on it. one of these years. I'm going to do a baseball project. Some something on baseball. Huh. Go back to my roots. So you know, but it'll take a couple years. I got to <laughs> do some research and <laughs> digging and. Figure out some other things yeah, too. You know. Wait for that Guggenheim fellowship yeah, to come right, in. Right. What about you, Eddie? What's going on with you? You had uh you had yeah, kind of a, a good year. Epilogue I had the a movie good you log. produced. Yeah. yeah.
0: Took took a long time. Yeah. Took like four years to get it going. Um, hopefully the next short film doesn't take that long.
1: <laughs> but epilogue was really well received, right?
0: Yeah, no, we had a we had a really uh, we had a really great Sort of response to it, um, which we tried really hard to just get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Because at film festivals, you get a lot of people that are obviously there to watch movies because they love movies, but you get maybe a couple hundred people to see something, and then you put it on the internet, and you get thousands. And you spend a lot of money submitting to film festivals, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and then it's just like, free to put it on the internet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you got it, it went all over. Like, it made it to Atlantic, the Atlantic, and it made it to I, uh,
0: I basically sort of, I mimicked some other filmmakers' mm. strategy. I kind of just studied some shorts that were out there that had uh, gotten on s- certain sites and, and in front of certain people, curators like yourself. <laughs> and uh, I just sort of copied the strategy, and it, it kind of worked. Which Please don't call me a curator. Really? <laughs> I don't <laughs> want
1: to. It's an insult to real curators. Is it really? Yeah, it's come on, man. Like, that takes study and, like, you got to know what you're doing. I'm, I'm like, I share stuff I like, you know? are an idea curator. Yeah, but I feel like Editors, that's. Editor. I don't know. I, I like a I think thing. it's an editor, yeah. Well, I mean, it's semantics, a lot of people, but I just. I mean, I just feel like a, curators at a museum, they're doing something fundamentally different than, like, sorting through information on the web, you know? Maybe maybe
0: yeah
1: i just don't because i think if i i just know i'm a curator than all the real like snobby people. well you don't like, you're not say it curator. i said it okay you don't have. i don't <laughs> want to be a curator though i don't want to be it's too hard work yeah. i'd rather be a a share podcast yeah. talker <laughs> host because i don't like host either you're living the dream oh yeah i mean definitely <laughs> Yeah. Broadcasting live from Tom's bedroom.
0: (laughs) Now everyone needs a coaster.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No coasters here. It's all right. It's comfy. Deep in the heart of Bushwick. Yeah. Yeah. Complete with a little atmosphere.
0: I've never been out to this part of Bushwick before. Oh. You said that, like, you haven't actually been out to Bushwick. Well, I've been to my buddy owns Bat House up on Jefferson. Okay, so you've, you've you've definitely kind of, been to I Missouri. mean, that's, that's, yeah. a, that's like a little north of here. Yeah, but no, it's cool. I mean, I'm only seeing it at night, but I like it.
2: Yeah, I've I've managed to live here for more than two years, and yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. I don't. know. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah.
0: Well, I'm I'm exci- I'm personally very excited about this new season of the LPV show. I, I know we already sort of talked about us talking about it, but <laughs> sort of I, it I like the ideas that we have of getting in different people and bringing in the photo book into the second half of the show and yeah, it'd be fun to think about taking this show on the road because I'm sure there's oh, lots yeah. of people that would appreciate that. You got me tired here in the, the New Yorkers angle. Yeah, I think right?
1: that, that might be yeah I think i i'm just I'm just hoping we can pull off. This season. Yeah. that's Without any hitches. Yeah. Any more hitches. Oh, yeah. yeah. We
0: already recorded this show. <laughs> <laughs> five, You're times the ghost, five times already. <laughs> <No. laughs> do we now,
1: do we feel a little bored with you? No. <laughs> uh, what
0: have right. you been up to, Brian? What, what have yeah. you been up to since we've last...
1: Oh, I got a book coming out.
0: Tell us, tell us a little bit Co-authored
1: a book, Photographer's Sketchbooks, with Stephen McLaren. When's it Take, coming out? Comes out in about two weeks. So uh, we took a look at um, basically the process of 43, you know, photographers, contemporary photographers, how they develop their projects, took a look at their notebooks, you know, the way they print out their images and do spreads, get ready for exhibitions. So it's a good cross-section of photographers, Alex Soth, Peter Van Ackmo, Roger Ballen, um, Susan Micellis. Some younger photographers, Keanu Harry, Amy Elkins. I'm afraid to keep saying more names because I'll just start butchering them. Yeah, which no, Which is fine. like my biggest fear I should
0: probably it. say that I'm probably going to be the window to the not-so-photophile in the room. I <laughs> recognize one of those names, unfortunately. Well, that's all right. No, hey, I... I yeah. You've got to buy the book and learn about the <laughs> no, exa- exactly, Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, I'll, well, I'll put a link right at the end of the, the post for this episode people and go out and buy it no but it was, it was exciting it was there's a lot of work you know published by teams and Hudson so it's you know legit legit publisher you're on you know you're on deadlines and you know it's it's not like self-publishing where you can just keep pushing out the deadlines a deadline is a deadline yeah um so it was stressful and it was kind of like i wasn't sure i really wanted to do it but once once we got going and now that we're done i'm like oh that was pretty awesome i'm glad i did that you well know?
0: how long so how long was the entire well program? it took
1: like a year yeah so we took a full year and you know you had to we had to figure out which photographers you got to reach out to the photographers figure out you know what stuff we want to put in the book and then your editing design and it's a lot of back and forth And we were doing it all basically through the internet too right like so steven's in san francisco i'm in new york their home office is in london and the designers were in the netherlands amsterdam so the whole book comes together like through the internet and most of the photographers were working through the internet. So that's kinda of crazy. Although I did go to Peter Van Ackmel's apartment to take a look at his like book dummies and stuff and that was that was amazing. I mean to see to see a photographer like him, like in progress and especially that book. The book is um uh it's a disco nine eleven? Disco nine nine eleven. I always mess up the name. Disco nine nine eleven. Um, so takes a look at the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, and then follows the soldiers back home. And, and Peter wrote a bunch of stuff about the photographs, his notes, and like. So it's I mean it's probably one of the d- definitive books of the wars, you know. So it's, wow, intense stuff. Did you, you
0: know? do some writing too?
1: Yeah, I wrote two two essays for the book. And the book is like we're trying to aim it at not necessarily like this isn't for the MFA crowd, you know. We're trying to get it at. I mean, it is visually. I think they can get something out of it, but, you know, we want it to be, like, people that really want to take their photography to the next level and want to learn about the the process, you know, so it's, you know, some of the essays, I think, are targeted a little bit more at people, um, you know, the amateur that kind of wants to take it to the next level, but what's cool is, like, visually, it really works for anyone. You go through it, and it has a good feel to it, and you can get ideas, so it's the kind of book we hope people keep, keep around and always just pick up to take a look maybe uh, hopefully we'll have some of the photographers on the show i don't know we'll hmm. see see if they're around they want to do it kind of we're cutting out our prove ourselves first i think <laughs> <laughs> what is this? this is legit i don't know i don't quite trust you guys <laughs> yeah i don't know but other than that then i'm shooting you know i'm just shooting like fiend i found a it really box.
0: interesting and i was telling a friend about it that you haven't posted anything that you've shot this year huh. no. Just so much patience that's like,
1: but is it really, I mean, Winogrand kept, died with how many rolls? I mean, yeah. we keep going back to, he died without, oh, developing like hundreds of rolls. Today I went back exactly a year in my archive
2: to see what my pictures were like or if I could find something that might fit right. this time of year. And I just realized that it was colder <laughs> and I'm a better photographer now.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, the last couple years, I'm happy with this stuff. But the more you kind of let it sit around, like, the less you kind of like, oh, that picture's not so good, like, whatever, you know? So you kind of really target the stuff that really sticks around. And, like, that's a big, big thing, you know? But it even goes back further. Like, I'm still editing stuff in Los Angeles, which which is from five, six years ago. Yeah. Because it's a completely different perspective on it. Like, that's, I think, like, the archive. I'm really fascinated by photographers' archives and how you can reinterpret the archive and just that whole process because I think it's, it's really interesting. The narrative
0: that unfolds when you look yeah, at it. I mean,
1: yeah. there's just, in the past, a photog- you would never get access to their art. You would never see it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's sharing stuff. It's like, you see their books or their exhibitions which are really f- tightly edited uh, pieces but now with the internet, people are exposing more of their process. So I think that's kind of like why I was interested in that the photographer's sketchbooks as well too is like, we're in a period where photographers are sharing their process more, a little bit more open with um, just what they're doing. So yeah. I think that's a big thing. And another thing, too, is like all this stuff archived on the web, too, potentially, maybe, for how long? You know, what is that? What happens if you ha- I have a big archive of stuff, you know, 50 years later, you know, set up, people stumble upon my website or whatever, I mean, your Flickr account? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, fingers crossed, it's all that stuff still there. And what does that say? What does that tell us about, you know? the time we were living in. I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of interesting and things going on with archives. In the case of like Winogrand, though, you said he died with all these roles.
0: Was that just because he didn't have time to get them developed? Was that something that he
1: mm-hmm.
0: purposefully it, was, like, leaving in the well, archive? He died.
1: So he died at 57, cancer. So he was probably, but it, there's a lot of speculation. Who knows why? He just...
0: It's,
2: it seemed like in the later years of his life, he didn't mark his contact sheets as much. No.
0: I mean, I think he was really
1: just, you know, Winogrand was really just kind of addicted to shooting. (laughs) So I think it just, it was one of those things that just piled up. He's like, you know. He wasn't a printer. No, he wasn't a printer He didn't like, so what's he going to do? Am I going to sit here and deal with all this crap? Or am I going to go out in the world and make more photographs? I mean, as a photographer, I can kind of tell you like, that choice is pretty easy to make. You know, I'm going to get out and like go out into the world, make more pictures, you know.
0: And you go out for like hours at a time too, right? Uh,
1: normally, I mean the stuff I do walking around. So I anything I shoot digital is just kind of my diaristic stuff. Like and that's mostly in my neighborhood or like if I'm shooting in Manhattan there. Um, the other projects I do when I go out with the Mamiya are more. Uh, I don't say conceptual, but there's more, I'm going somewhere for like a specific period of time, and so the other book I did, I walked between LaGuardia and JFK for like seven months, you know took various trips there so i'm editing that book right now but that's definitely like how do
0: you know when you're done with that like how do you know when it's time to just make the book
1: i'm just like i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to go because it actually is you get on the train you go to the place and you walk you know you walk kind of like the same areas yeah and i just don't you know there's photographers that do that for 10 years for 20 years forever they do that that's amazing i I can see myself doing it three times
0: and then being like (laughs) great i'm done here we go
1: I mean, I'm sure. Like, I show you know, you show the book dummy or the edit, and people number one thing they'll probably say, "Go back and shoot more." But part of me, part of the concept is, is I want this like ephemeral feel to it that it is kind of like you know.
0: Have you been sharing it with people? Yeah, or, I've yeah. been sharing
1: the the dummies. I've shared it with some friends. And it's been interesting to get feedback from people. Really, the first time, like, because um, I really haven't done that in the past for whatever reason. But now I'm like, hey, here's the book dummy. Maybe just because I have a better process now, and I. You know, I've met some people that I definitely trust. And like, yeah. So I share it to them, and like, you get some interesting feedback. And like, I had some hunches on the edit that I had, and it was kind of confirmed by three different people. Like, they all gave, kind of gave me the same feedback. Yeah. Like, take out these these pictures, almost like. And
0: you kind of guessed that even before. I did guess
1: it. That was like my question. I even, you know, I was like, you
0: their reasoning all the same?
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And it was kind of. And, like, I don't care whatever you take those pictures out and they get reabsorbed into the into the archive anyway, so it's not that big a deal. But, yeah, that's, I mean, I definitely recommend, you know, for photographers finding a few people that you trust and sharing your work. I mean, that's, it's tough, you know, because you can kind of tell, like, uh, what do you, you know, you don't want to be too harsh with them. You want to be productive. And, like, people that look at a lot of photos, I kind of think, you know, in general, get a little cynical. <laughs> yeah, and, so, I mean, you
0: want insightful, helpful feedback, and not anything yeah. that's too late that you can't do anything about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know it comes on the trust. You you know you trust their feedback. and you know? it's like any collaborative kind of thing.
0: When will you put that book out?
1: I don't know. I plan to. I'm gonna do an just an artist edition of a hundred. So I'm getting kind of close. I got to finish up a little bit of the writing on it and then, you know, maybe early next year. It's uh, like I really don't have any rush on it. How man.
0: many images go into it?
1: Probably like 32 to 35. So it's a, it's a smaller quick book, you know. Is there sort
0: of like a range that photographers try to keep like a small book at? Well, or does it doesn't really matter.
1: No, I mean it can it can range it can go from anywhere to, you know, some people do a portfolio book of 22 images. Otherwise, young people can do an epic, 10-year epic project on Afghanistan That's where they put yeah. in 85 images, you know, or, like, Winogrand's book has a ton of, ton of images as well. So it's like, it really runs the gamut, you know? Yeah. But you got to kind of let the photos, I think let the photos really dictate that. Yeah. And the design, too, the concept, you know? But that's that's why I'm interested I'm really fascinated by photo books. That's how I envision my that's how it works. Like that's when I feel good about it. Okay, it's in the book. That's 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 my yeah. photography. Not you know, not not throwing stuff up on the internet, you it's know. It's like a final realized form. It's a final real and I think you definitely like once you get in with the the fine art photography people, that's where what they respect the most is like you know Seeing it through completion, you know the internet's great. I love sharing stuff on the internet. It's it's fine and whatever, but you know.
0: now when you have like the print book that has all twenty to thirty images that you're talking about, when you are you gonna make those all di- like digitally available on the internet too, so that people can literally just see the entire book maybe, on the internet? Maybe or put up a kind PDF? Of put like a teaser of it.
1: Yeah, you put like an edit on your website, and then you distribute it around, and then yeah. you might put out. I might put up the full PDF. I mean, I don't care, whatever. Yeah, other people make eBooks. I mean, I don't know. Those have kind of yet to really capture the uh, imagination, I guess, of photoland. But there's a lot of optimist. There's people that are very optimistic about eBooks as well, too. Because part of the problem, you make a hundred books. And that means a hundred people see the book, you know, like, so, or if you make 500, you're even, if you're lucky enough you make 5,000, I mean, that's still, I mean, it's a considerable run for a photo book, but it's still not that, you know, it's a small, photography books is small, small, small niche of the kind of, you know, really small audience.
0: And are there ever editors that work on super small books like that? Oh yeah, all the
1: publishers, yeah. 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 But you're you're going to
0: self-publish this, though, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it would be nice if somebody else would publish it, but I don't, you know. But what about
0: even if you self-published it, but brought on, like, edited by
1: the people? Yeah, people do that for sure. Absolutely. And design. you can hire a designer. It's more of like, it's more like, you know, who's going to do it? Are you going to pay him? And what's the... Yeah. You know, but I prefer to kind of edit and sequence myself. No, I'm
0: just curious if there's editors out there that like a photographer's certain style that they'll get into like a, a scenario where you're kind of like pre-visualize an idea for a book, but you would still go out by yourself for seven months and make hey, it and then kind of come back to the editor. I, where I think
1: normally what you do is you have a relationship with the publisher and then you show, I'm working on this project and then the, the publisher editor the will concept, come in. Yeah. yeah. And they'll say, here's what I see, here's kind of what I see doing it. Or like, But a lot of times the publisher will, will be the editor, do the editing.
0: But will know. the publisher or editor ever pitch a concept to the photographer based on the photographer's aesthetic? I stuff? Doubt,
1: doubt that happens very much. Interesting. Doubt that happens very much. Most photographers are out trying to pitch their book to multiple publishers yeah. to see who will bite on it, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, unless you're like a huge... A huge name i mean how many you've probably you've self-published a couple times, haven't you yeah yeah not in large quantities no like 50 <laughs> or so right like you just do a yeah, small f- more like 10. but you hand you did a <laughs> all by con, hand like 10 editions there was a those that was like five for yeah five well yeah, yeah some people did so tom hand makes five books you know yeah and some people make hand make 50 books You know, because they want like that, it's, you know, it's it's an artist, it's an artist book. They call it an artist book.
2: Only so many people get to see them.
1: Yeah. And it's mostly like other photographers, (laughs) the other photographer friends that are like, you know.
2: But I look at it and I feel like this is the best place I've seen these pictures and they make sense in context with all the other ones.
1: Yeah. And it's just the sequencing and paging through a book. I mean, paging through a book is like. How
0: much time was it in between the release of each book?
1: Uh, I did it
2: more when I first moved to New York, but I, I did some at the same time. Yeah. It wasn't like I was making a book for every project. I Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people I know, they're kind of working on multiple things, and like, you know, you might have something going, don't really know where it is, they'll let it go for a year or two, and then they'll come back to it, or there's other people like Stephen Gill, like, he just, I mean, that guy cranks them out, you know, he kind of has... So And I'd like to get to that point, too. Like, again, going back to the archive of how you can reinterpret it. Like, most of my stuff has been pretty, like, based on time or place. Like, okay, here's this year in Los Angeles, and I moved to New York. Here's my first two years, which isn't all that imaginative. You know? But it's the way I want to do that base archive of stuff. But now that I have a larger uh, archive, now I want to see how can I go and re- reinterpret this in different ways and really... Yeah. Think about book, the book and sequencing and time and referencing different things. So I think the more the more you do it, the more you kind of, you, you know, you learn the process. Like filmmaking, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. you go out and you make your first short film and you kind of learn that and then you make another short film and it's like, okay, well, yeah. we build upon everything that you know, you know? Yeah. But that's the important thing. It's like, you got to do it, man. No, <laughs> like, it is. Yeah.
0: We're, we're literally up against that right now with just feeling like we need to stay relevant by yeah you can't just hang on to one thing for too long but it's also
1: like if it's your if it's you know I don't want to say if it's your art but if it's your art you like you enjoy doing you know what I mean like you want so to me like going and doing this stuff like it's not like oh I have to do that it's like I want to do this this is something I'm compelled to do you know it's easy to do it yeah Yeah. so I think how about we uh, take a break come back and talk about Gary Winogrand some more Dive into the books.
0: LPV Show, Season 2.
1: All right, we're back. And the the book for this episode that I brought along is uh, The Airport Pictures of Gary Winogrand, Arrivals and Departures. So this book was... um, Created posthumously, and it was edited by Alex Harris and Lee Friedlander. And most people are going to know who Lee Friedlander is, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's his airport pictures. Um, so I just want to read I'm going to read a couple passages here. One is by Alex Harris, and then the other one by Friedlander. Um, so the first one, Alex Harris The pleasure we take in Gary Wintergrand's pictures is the pleasure of travel. Turning these pages holds the possibility of turning the corner and seeing something new, of discovering something we've never quite seen this way before. Even the possibility of seeing ourselves in a new light. On Winogrand's guided tour, we rarely go up in the air. And though we wait in line, sit in restaurants, and stroll through lobbies, walk in and out of planes and terminals, and sometimes get so far as to load the baggage into the trunks of cars, we rarely get beyond the terminal. Gary Winogrand shows us that we don't need to leave the airport to go on the trip of our lives. So Alex Harris is... I'm... A little bit familiar with his work. It doesn't come to the top of my mind, but um, I really like that passage. So I'll go to the next one by Friedlander, who uh, Uncle Lee, I guess, is a, a pretty good writer here, too. So here's Lee Friedlander. For Gary, airplanes like bridges and tunnels brought on a cold sweat. He probably started photographing seriously at airports because he had made a few good pictures at times and had recognized the airport as a real subject for himself. Also, I think, it was a way to assuage his own anxiety about the coming plane trip. He would arrive at the airport very early so as to have time to watch and then get lost in his work. A bit of the hair of the dog. What was reaped in the rich bounty held between these book covers. All right.
0: And now, these guys, so they're kind of, I love that they were talking about how, you know, most of the images are on the ground. You yes. think airport and you're not. We barely see any images of an airplane. So I would imagine, as Gary Winograni he probably had a ton of images from inside the airplane. Probably. So who's making the decision? Of oh, like, this oh is, you know this what would be the Alec... most compelling is to not show that much of the airplane?
1: No, it was Alex. Oh, on, on that? No, me. I think this is Alex Harris and Lee Friedlander, for sure, making this edit. But, you know, this is a definitely, like, a different time too like these days going out and photographing the way he did you probably wouldn't last very long you know right. yeah. given all the restrictions so like he you know that's part of one of the reasons that this book really resonates with me because it really it's from a different time period yeah, where that's f- amazing. Air, airports are a little bit more lax and like he could freely kind of roam around and just capture these amazing like moments
0: they always had like the his images make them feel like they're like lounges or like these mm. like res, <laughs> restaurants you know it's like people and sitting and smoking and
2: there's a lot of mean, intensity yeah too.
0: lines yeah. people standing in but lines. i love
1: that's the airport too i'm not i do not like flying i get horrible anxiety but airports i like i don't know there's that weird tension in an airport you know People are arrivals, arriving and leaving. It's, it's like, like a hospital. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, that's a different story. But, like, airports have that weird, you know, and there's excitement. People are landing and they're, like, meeting up with their loved ones or, like, you know. Yeah. They're sad because they're coming for a funeral. I mean, it's, you know. It's an emotional experience. It is. And you're, even if you're just going on vacation, you're excited because you're, now, you're in New York City, you know, or you're in Florida, wherever you are. It's, like, so I just kind of love it. And I've, he definitely captures that sort of, like... Uh, tension that's always in the air in airports, you know.
2: There's uh, one picture where a guy on the left side is sitting down, but he's looking right at him, too. Yeah. And so it's this, like, rare moment of eye contact. Yeah. That, that's the one that really stands out to me. I've, I'm i at an airport,
1: and I think about that. Picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I look for Yeah, you kind of look for And, like, air, I mean, one of the reasons Winogrand's one of my favorite photographers is like he's using that 28 millimeter lens wide lens and he just he captures multiple subjects it's not you know there he shows you that the world goes on beyond like the one subject and like uh so he captures that kind of like chaos of, of multiple people going about and doing different things but kind of in the same space you know and that's i mean that's one of the reasons why he just and he's just fast you know
0: i saw but, i was watching a uh it was like a 10 minute sort of, uh, it was on YouTube, shot black and white film interview with him. I don't know if it was something that you shared. Probably. i, There's I a few I, videos I, of yeah, him. Yeah. Like, I, I recently wrong. watched it within the last month and I don't want to do it any disservice, but I don't. I don't remember specifically what he was saying in his interview, but during like the interview itself, he was kind of sitting there and talking and talking about his whole process and the way he approaches things, but like... While he's talking and answering questions, he's turning and going, da, 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 yeah, firing it yeah, yeah, yeah. off, firing off. And he falls right back into the sentence that he was just talking about. And I'm like, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, he's one of those guys that just like. He didn't miss a beat. Like, he didn't so miss in- a beat for like the moment that was happening. and He didn't miss a beat with his, his response and his answer. No, and that's kind of one of the toughest parts of street photography. Just like having that instinct to pull the trigger. And like you see the really good ones, they just don't hesitate. They go make the photograph. I mean, I, that's probably, you know, I still think a little bit, you know, it's like. The photograph was made before they thought of it. Yeah, and those are (laughs) typically, like, the best photograph. Like, you just act instinctively, and he knows, you know. But he was, he's lightning fast. I mean, this guy, like, you know, he, he could focus and, like, get his exposure, and bam, bam, he would nail it, you know. And, like, that's tough, you know. You just. But when you're out there every single day and this is what you're always doing, it just becomes instinct. No, it's instinct. A, it's an amazing, it's, it's yeah. an
0: amazing skill set to have. I I I feel like there have been many times where I've seen the moment that should have been photographed, and then <laughs> for the next three blocks, all I'm thinking about is I can't believe I missed that.
1: Oh no way! That's I don't such... know, but you, the Tom, you, I mean, Wintergreen's one of your favorites. Yeah, too, absolutely, right? big influences. Yeah. But you kind of like, I don't know, if you're on the street a lot, you kind of. It really becomes about anticipation and, like, what do you say, spatial awareness, they say? I don't know, like, you kind of, you're looking three or four blocks ahead. You're looking at, you survey everything. You kind of start to anticipate the way people move, you know? I don't approach the situation with a lot of
2: expectations on what people are going to do. I let them surprise me and I kind of let things develop rather than going into something and I think I've been most frustrated when I've gone out and tried to make a certain kind of picture or a picture like someone else. Yeah. And I, I like seeing how things develop naturally. In yeah. Some place. And I I never know specifically what route I'm going to go. There's always a little bit of uncertainty.
1: Yeah, we talked about this I think a little bit in, yeah. a while ago and like, yeah, it's... I mean, that's, I kind of got burnt out on shooting in Manhattan. I just couldn't take it anymore. It's because like... I would hit the same, 34th Street and then 5th Avenue, and it would be like, I can't do this anymore. And, like, getting really close to people and, like, Mm -hmm. putting a camera in their face, it's, like, emotionally draining to a point, you know. But it's also, it's like, I just felt like, you know, I'm riffing on Winogran or I'm riffing on Gus Paul or I'm riffing on Myrowitz, which is fine. Like, I'm all, that's part of, I feel... You know the modern, your modern photographer. You're probably riffing on somebody anyway, so like I'm fine with. That How effect. frequently do you guys get shit for it?
2: Um, from time to time, I mean, I think that's a common question people ask, but it's pretty rare. I mean, most of the time I'm not even seeing it, but I did have a guy last year come and like <laughs> physically threaten me. That was unpleasant. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't... Every time... For how, like, he was up in
2: your... Uh, he followed me for a few blocks. There weren't like, any cops around. Like, with his
0: fists raised? That, that kind was, of thing? Yeah.
2: He was shoving me around. Oh, man. Yeah, it was it was not a great situation. It also wasn't a great picture. No. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I, did, I didn't really oh, fight man. for it in the end, even though I should have, but... Did you delete the picture? Yeah, it just wasn't very good.
0: Well, yeah, it wasn't worth getting...
2: If it was, then maybe I would have done something about it, but it was just one of those moments that like, didn't fully come together, and then this guy saw me, and maybe he was on parole. I don't know. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, that's kind of like you learn. There's some people I just don't... I won't photograph. I'm like, I kind of know. I'm like... I'm always afraid them, I'm going to get like someone who's having an affair. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't... In New York, I haven't really encountered any problems, and almost every time that i did in la was because i was being a little bit overly aggressive you know like you know flash at night or something like that or it's like kind of a mano a situation which is me and like one other person walking on the street and like kind of stupid stuff but uh, like, yeah you know? whoa i did i did have and when i was in long island this just a few months ago and it was this weirdest thing It's like i took like a landscape picture and like some person was like deep in the frame like almost inconsequential and like I walked by them and they didn't say anything and then like I went and, like an hour and a half I walked and I kind of looped back around they were still sitting there and I passed by and they like stopped me and it's like did you take their picture a while ago and I was like yeah you know I was taking a landscape you're back from you know so then you get into the situation where it's like okay you don't want to be a a lot of people will get into like, it's my right, my First Amendment rights, and like, I can legally take pictures, and like, <laughs> which is definitely like the wrong way to go. Right. So, I generally right. try to say, like, you know, I'm a documentary photographer, I'm out capturing pictures. It's not, you know, very few people will probably see this. I'm only doing it because, yeah. like, because I, you know, yeah, I'm in love, in love with the scene. It's not personal. <laughs> it's not anymore.
0: personal to you, it's personal
1: to me. <laughs> yeah. But most people, most of the time, it's just, you know, There's just a weird paranoia these days about cameras, and and I think that has to do more with, like, the surveillance state, really, than, like, individual photographers. But also, like, everyone's hyper-aware of the internet, you know? For some reason, people are, like, weird, like, they don't want their picture on the internet. I think it should be the surveillance state, but it's not. I think
2: people are more afraid of, sort of, social memes and... Yeah, playing. probably.
1: Well, I mean, rightly so when you have people getting shamed, you know, for doing every such thing on the subway or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. that's probably a real fear. You do something dumb in public and you could get shamed for it these days. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like the Wild West for it right now. Yeah, But I don't think, I don't know, I think wintergrand was, wintergrand was definitely like a big lovable bear, like just chuckling, you know. Is he
2: shaming pick people with his camera?
1: It does he? I don't know. I don't. I never feel that. I think, I, don't, I mean, Winogran has a lot of empathy. I mean, that's, you get that, you know. He's, he really, I think he really cares, you know. Like, it comes through. But, like, he's also on the other end, too. He really cares about the picture, the humanity. Well, he yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that's, but that has to be there. But I think his most concern is, like, I want to try to make an interesting picture. Yeah. And, like, that's, so he's thinking about the photograph. But I think if you don't start with that, like, empathy and feeling understanding why you're out there doing it you're going to be in trouble you know especially on street where it's kind of like or your pictures are going to be pretty dark yeah yeah (laughs) cynical but yeah i don't know so when
0: he when he got his first of three guggenheim fellowships traveling around are they are they sort of like directing the the things that they want him to shoot, they're just like, here's the check, man. No. Go make no, it happen. Go make
1: it happen. So I suppose, yeah, I guess we're going to pop a little secret here. We're, also, Tom has a copy of Winogrand 64. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Which is uh, very rare, hard to get, expensive. Printed in Italy. How much did you pay for it?
2: Um... I paid like half of what it goes for, which is how
1: much I paid. How could 100- you tell? <laughs> I paid one hundred and fifty dollars. Well, that's it. not bad. I mean, I think if you try to get it now, you're six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Know. That's what drives me nuts about photo books,
2: though. And this is the this is one that was very inspirational to me when I was in college, and this is one I needed to uh, find again. Yeah, a
1: lot of people talk about it, and so when grant nineteen sixty four is kind of unique because it mixes in color photographs. Mm-hmm. Which you don't see too often from Winograd. I mean, he's got some out that you might people might recognize, but they're not. He didn't shoot color
2: um,
1: frequently. There was
2: some show, I believe it was at the MoMA, uh-huh. and he had all of these. Um, they were slides. Yeah. So they were color slides, and they were the only copies. Oh really? And it was like a Robert Capa story where like uh-huh. the projector blew up. And they apparently oh. like all these color Winogrand slides are just gone
1: forever. That's cool. I mean, imagine he was shooting Kodachrome though.
2: He yeah. had to have been,
1: right? Like, yeah. But there's a the great stories So Myrowitz would carry two cameras, like one color and one black and white. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I would love to do that. I just think like, but to me, shooting black and white is so hard. I don't know really why. But
0: now was arrivals and departures a show too? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this was yeah. like a later thing
1: that happened. no they did this was post. this is after yeah. he died oh they right right yeah this, you said that. that you out,
0: said yeah. that because they're saying here even in this 64 book that um that a lot of the a lot of the images that are in this were unpublished but they all came from the pivotal 67 exhibition new documents mm-hmm. so i'm thinking why is there a book called new documents i think that's the yes. that's the show that had
2: the colors yes uh, slides that burned up, too. Yeah,
1: so, like, the new document show was one of the big. Lee Friedlander, mm-hmm. Ian Arbus, and Gary Winogrand. So that kind of ushered in those three as, like, the giants of documentary. I don't know for better words. But, like, with 64 is, like, yeah, a lot of his famous, what you would see are his famous images are in there.
0: But, like, when this book, 64, came out, was there also a show called 64? Does mm-hmm. it not work like that? Maybe it-
1: No, it was kind of weird because you got to remember back then, photography was still fighting to be recognized as a legitimate art. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it wasn't right. people, the artist establishment didn't really recognize photography. Like it's kind of squarely stuck in that yeah. documentary yeah. area. So like these guys getting gallery that it's not like today where you have a bunch yeah. of dedicated photography galleries in that it's a legit kind of medium for yeah. like so it games. kind
0: of works a little bit like music where you can buy an album you hear certain singles for a while but then you go see the live show you get a little of the back catalog maybe yeah. some new things that i haven't mean been i recorded can't yet. i'm
1: this is all i did was not live you know, so i don't yeah. want to talk authoritative of course just you know, like <laughs> of course you know but even just kind of what i've gathered it wasn't you know these guys weren't making tons of money at all wintergrand lived in yeah, poverty most of his life. I would imagine he got by in teaching and doing stuff. but He wasn't. I mean, his legend really happens after, after he dies. You know, and he becomes who he is now. But like you know, yeah. I mean, sixty that book I think is like pretty poorly edited. <laughs> you know, it's kind of sloppy. Yeah, which how is, which wait, looks, how so? How so? What it's do, just there's too many images and there's too many kind of like duds. You know. But I'd almost say the same about the newest one. Oh, for <laughs> sure. For sure. But that's like the number one of the number one criticisms leveled at Winter is just like too much garbage, you know. I like, like I don't but on a street photograph, I don't I kind of like I I'm maybe one of the rare people or there's some like like I I think there's musicians don't mind seeing, that work like, the same way too. The misses, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like a jam. Yeah. That feels like a jam book like you just kind of like you know. Riffing and playing and letting stuff go and like, it's like a five C
0: D collector set that has B sides, kind of. live. Yeah, where you just like demos. You know, instead of
1: like a fifty minutes he, he went he made it a two hours, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And like a lot of people like doing color I think some of the color black and white spreads there are a little clunky and they don't really come off. I mean, but like that doesn't you know, you're looking at that with a modern from a modern Perspective And photo books have kind of come a long ways too. You know, a big, I don't know how you would say it, where you just throw all the photos in a book was a little bit more prevalent. You know, now I think people are a little bit more, what do they call that type of book? It's like a catalog book, right? Like it's like a catalog for like a museum. Sh- like the Lee Friedlander big yellow book of his mm. MoMA retrospective It's fat. Tom has it sitting here. It's just like a thick book that goes over Mm-hmm. all of his career so this is kind of it feels like a catalog book of his
0: yeah, it does. and
1: it's cool I mean it's something you cool you, the nice thing about a book like that is you can always pick it up and you'll probably find an image that you didn't really remember it's like oh that's cool and then you kind of you know you got something else uh, in your reservoir
2: it, it happens all the time there's one I was trying to find one I was looking at it last week and I love how
1: many levels some of his pictures will work on That'd be go back to the multiple, multi-subjects, right, you know? Yeah, i just, I'll have to find this one picture. It's like I looked at it, and I looked at it more, and it just kept going. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I kind of become obsessive about that. How many people can I get in the frame kind of all harmoniously organized, you know? And it's weird when it works, because a lot of times you don't even realize you're getting people deep in the frame, and then it just, yeah, you get it. I mean, the human eye is an amazing thing. I mean, it's crazy what we can see. I mean, I think we take it. I think I definitely take it for granted. It's like we can perceive all of this stuff and, like, the motion, the color, like, you know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, that's why I like I like candid stuff and moving masses and, you know, that kind of chaos. I think that was definitely Wintergreen too, was his, you know. You wanted to be right in the middle of that. Like stand in the middle of it. Organizing the chaos.
0: It's organized so neatly. It's when you look at it in a book like this, it's But you so gotta it yeah. makes life look incredibly yeah. flattering. There, there is. it is.
2: Yeah, I kinda looked over this one for years and
0: We gotta take it, a photo of this so that people can Yeah,
2: there's a guy who's about to go down a slide. So, yeah. and there's there's an old jet and a it looks like some park there's another kid yeah. on the slide someone who's using a badminton setup let see you
1: got the tonality on this one too and then you got the level you know it's constructed in a way where your eye has to kind of bounce around the frame and it's got the depth
2: there's a cross all the way in the back right next to the giant yeah. mobile gas sign well it's that's great.
1: detail man like, that's yeah <laughs> and symbology was he
0: and he was exclusively 35 millimeter Thirty five millimeter yeah, Twenty eight
1: millimeter lens. Yeah. So he's wide. I mean twenty eight mm twenty eight Yeah, is, of course. That's hard to like So you gotta really kinda you're in close. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's really in close and like you're getting really wide angle. They say thirty five is kind of our natural way of seeing. So twenty eight would be a little bit wider. So we'll definitely have to we'll put that one on though. Yeah. The blogs so people know what they're looking at. <laughs> you know, the one yeah. with the people in it. The one with all the people in it. Why are you guys talking about photos and <laughs> whatever? I yeah, I mean, I the thing I tried to, the problem with, like, I, I think a lot of street photographers become so obsessed with Winogrand and those guys, like, right away that it's, like, tough to...
2: I think this is a good... Arrivals and Departures is a good book to get into Winogrand. If you haven't, yeah. haven't really seen his work everyone knows the airport, it's relatable, and it, like you said, it's not something that you could as easily do today.
1: Yeah, and it makes like a good, yeah, it's a good, you know, it's got a single kind of like t- subject theme, and like, today it would make a good headline in social media. Gary Winogrand photographs the chaos of airport, and whatever it would, <laughs> yeah. be like, oh, okay, so he went to the airports and took a bunch of pictures. Where it would sit, 1964 is a little bit difficult. I mean, I guess it would be considered like a road trip book, you know, which is a genre unto itself, yeah, but.
0: it becomes of a like a talking point yeah,
1: no, but i don't i mean i think I also think really the editing too, yeah, so that I think about a lot of time in and parts you got two very good photographers, Alex Harris and Lee Friedlander, who really like mm-hmm. thought about the sequencing and like mm-hmm. knew Winogrand and new Winogrand's work, so they really kind of got what he was doing, so like here. I think, um, but I really, you know, I've only seen the animals and public relations, right? Like, mm-hmm. I've only seen those, like, a couple times, I so I don't... Animals is really good. The, the sequencing is pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yep. right there, right next to Oh, right. <laughs> wait, <laughs> the animals, yep. yeah. Wow. So we're getting the full Gary Winogran. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to pull that one in there. Should we say Gary Winogrand a few more times? In this episode, we talk purely about Gary Sponsored Wintergren. by. Sponsored. He's my favorite. He's my favorite. Well, you're not at I mean, I think it's timely, you know, with the, the show or whatever. But you can always talk about you know. There's a lot of people that don't like him, though. There are. Like, definitely, like, a Why? lot of on the final, just, they don't like street photography. They don't yeah. like his casualness, or, like, he doesn't...
0: They don't like him or they don't like his work? Oh, they, they just
1: like don't his
2: accept don't like it as, like,
0: photography they like
2: to
1: look at. Well, that's just fine. fine. Like, you yeah. Know, yeah. yeah, I don't mean that's I fine. They're, yeah. like, really kind of, like, oppose. This is, I didn't realize there were so many pictures of just animals. I mean, here we got, what are these, these are orangutans, right? Mm-hmm. Or chimps. Oh, yeah. Those are orangutans. Those uh, are chimps. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's tough. Well, whatever it is, whatever they are, there's got to be orangutan. I think it's she orangutan. Saying, I think so. This orangutan is urinating in the other <laughs> orangutan's mouth. Uh, no joke there.
0: This might be a random question, but do people ever pull pages out of books like this and just
2: frame oh, them? Oh yeah, I've thought about buying a second one and the just f- putting frames
0: up in the house. No,
1: I what you know, I went, I checked out a lot of books from the LA library right when I first started. And yeah, I would go through a lot of them, and be like pages missing. Oh, ripped yeah. out Oh, yeah. Totally people would do that. I know, especially in the library books.
2: I bought a calendar at the Wintergrand Show, and the, the guy that was checking me out was like, "Oh yeah, these are frameable too, by the
0: way." I thought that with the, <laughs> the new one that I got, I literally was thinking of, you know, it's going to sit on the shelf and not yeah. be seen by me. I've thought about buying a I might as well one. just pull the pages out and throw them up no, on No, don't do that. I
1: would never do that. <laughs> no. I mean, there's some people that don't... I mean, if you really want to be a... kind of a prick, I'll just say it. Like, some people on big, hot new releases that they know will sell out, they'll buy two copies. Yeah. So they'll have the one copy that they just keep on the shelf to preserve, and then they'll have their one copy where they actually look at. So yeah. you'll actually, if you talk to a lot of photo book snobs, they'll be like, you got to use the book. you got to look at the book and other people will be like, no, you want to preserve it to preserve its yeah. value and they never look at it. Yeah, so right. you have people that buy these limited books and they put them on their shelves and they never actually even look at them.
0: Right, it's exactly. Because it's
1: purely, yeah. Well, there's a huge, you can read, I should pull up some of the old articles. I think Jeffrey Ladd had an amazing, like, Article years ago about like people that buy the books, buy books and and never look at them, collect dust,
0: and they sit on the shelf, and you just look at the binding. I don't think
1: a photographer, I don't think anyone who's actually out making photographs would ever do that. Because me, the books are like those are like the books I have on my shelf are like the most influential. You go go back to them. I go back to them. That's like my core. I need to look at these to kind of like feed my visual brain and like build and. No, it's important. Yeah. Absolutely. I wish I could have a ton of books. I wish I could buy more and more books, you know. But turns out they're collectors' items. Turns out they're collectors' items. <laughs> well, I, I think I think we've uh, exhausted our Gary Winogrand talk for this for this episode. I think right. so. I feel good about it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's. Uh, if it we If you get, get your hands on 1964, I highly recommend it. You know, it's so one the how best. Much. And if you, I'm sure, you, I think you can still buy Rails and Departures. Still, my one of my favorite books, and and if uh, you if you really want to turn the spigot on, <laughs> oh yeah, you can get the catalog from the recent uh, retrospective, um, which has everything. Which has everything. So the, <laughs> so what's key about that that one, the retrospective, is it has a lot of photographs that have never been seen. Like they actually went and developed from his archive, and they pulled out stuff from his later Los Angeles.
2: Sometimes exciting, so, mostly boring. Well,
1: there's that's kind of <laughs> been, that was the controversy, or not the controversy, or the yeah. dialogue, the debate about the those later Los Angeles pictures. Did they actually have any merit, you know, or, you know, this, it's, just yeah, where they, they should have been left out, you know. The,
0: the, the three-disc
1: essential collection. Yeah, I don't. You don't have the other Winogrand book, do you? The big yellow one. The Oh no, I don't have. I know fig, what you figments from the real mm-hmm. real world, right? Like that's the one I have. with that was his first MoMA retrospective, and that one they didn't. They left out all of the undeveloped, unpublished stuff because they didn't. They didn't feel like it hmm. was up to his standards. So this is this is why everyone was kind of excited about this. Is they got to see some of those images that were never ever seen before, and I think there's. I mean, I think there's a lot of desperation in the Los Angeles pictures, to me. I mean, I think, but I think there's a lot of like desperate beauty to them. But
2: I went to a lecture with a guy that uh, organized the show and picked out all the, the selections yeah, from yeah. his archive, and he talked about how he had tons of football pictures. Oh really? And he just kind of tossed them aside. Yeah, yeah. And I've all, I as a you know, you know what? I'm sports. so
1: I'm so glad you said that because that reminded me of what Wayne Bremser, my friend Wayne Bremser, says. Like, when we talk about Wintergrand, he's like, this is all moot. What they need to do is put his entire archive online and let people just yeah. go at it. And I think that is such a brilliant yeah. idea. Like, you, that's how we would really see a different version of Winogrand. If you could just go into his entire archive and I could go and make my edit, Tom can make his edit, and, like, Wayne Bremser could make his edit, you know. Now we would start to see all these different versions of Winogrand from a different perspective. Because I think, like when these people that are in photography and been around it, they kind of, their eye really gravitates towards something. And like, if you're not right. have that depth of knowledge, I think you might kind of can pull out some stuff that they would ignore. Right. And I think that, that is like fascinating to me. And I would love that to see like <laughs> all this entire archive. Where you can just go get lost. Open and like source archive. Yes. And like, I think that to me would be a dream, is to like be able to have a big massive archive online so that would allow people to go and play with it. And I think we're kind of pushing towards that future. But I think like that's, Wayne makes a great point, like if we really want to see a different version of Wintergram, we gotta kind of open, make it open source and let other people come in and take a look. It's a great idea. A I good, think that's a right. good way to end, man. Yeah. yeah, there it is. All right, thanks guys.
0: We appreciate your support and hope you continue to enjoy the show. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them to info at lpvshow.com or connect with us on Twitter at lpvshow. The LPV Show is executive produced by Brian Formals and Tom Starkweather. Our score is by Tom Starkweather, who also mixes the show. Special thanks to Eddie Vellante and Brett A. Davis. Thanks for listening.